Welcome back, everybody. Uh, in the midst of trying to get things a little bit organized, I was going to wear a sweatshirt tonight, but then I started roasting, and now I'm a little bit chilly. So, we'll see how this goes. Wow, my light is kind of messed up. I replaced the bulbs in some of this, so, like, some of the lights behind me, so it, I probably need to adjust the brightness on some of these other things. I don't know. We'll worry about that later. We got a lot of stuff going on tonight. Uh, there's a number of different things going on in the realm of Mythgard. And this may be, despite the very awkward opening, one of those videos that I always promise I'm going to rip to YouTube. We'll see how it goes. Because, uh, is Mythgard a dead game? In no way is Mythgard dead, Afro... Afro-Leo. Uh, Midgard is very much alive, although there are some things going on that have, we'll say, challenged people <laughs> as of late. And we're going to talk about a few of them because there was actually a survey that was put out, and we'll be talking about that shortly. So yesterday I met someone that has never had a crepe. Think about how much worse your life would be without crepes, and that is this person's reality. <laughs> hey, Yodeler, what's good? Atona, I have to say I do honestly and sincerely appreciate all of the, the food-related randomness that comes in <laughs> whenever you're here. Yesterday, was it yesterday or the day before with the cereal? And me that I want to ask about the survey. <laughs> yeah. So we are going to talk about the survey because I think it's important. I think it's important for a number of reasons. And... There's a number of things <clears throat> that I wanted to clarify. Oh, can you see other people's responses once it's submitted, Yodeler? That I didn't know because I haven't done it personally yet. Um, I did see, obviously, the humongous discussions that have been going on. But there's a lot of things to digest from this. That's cool that you can see the responses. I hope it doesn't tag people's names in it. I think culture is a very important thing. And if you don't have food, you don't have culture because you'd be dead. It would be difficult to consume good food if you were no longer with us. That is correct, Atona. And one can lead to the other. Well, I guess as long as you have some food, it doesn't necessarily have to be good. It still can sustain you. Uh, unless you don't say it, it's anonymous. Okay. Uh, I know there was a requirement for the survey that you had to be logged in, or I thought I saw someone mention it, because you needed to, in these sort of things, you don't want people just spamming it, obviously. So it, it, it at least puts up somewhat of a barrier, as silly as it may sound, you get a free Gmail account or something and do it. But, you know, it requires a step beyond just the obvious. I mean, unless you're a plant person that survives on water and sunshine. So your Dr. Bushroot from Darkwing Duck. Oh, they, actually, before we move on, uh, Afro Leo. So I don't know if you saw this, but if you're interested in starting Mythgard, I should have said this before, but uh, you can check out that Twitter thread to get basically 60% of the card pool right now for free. So anybody out there who's watching this, uh, listening to this after the fact also, you can check this out if it's still live and you can... Oh, he left chat. All right. Womp womp. Well, PSA, get the codes if you haven't already. There you go. Even though you might recognize my writing when you're going to check responses, fair. Uh, mine are probably going to be very obvious. Entire base set is available for free. Through the 10th, did they actually state that there was a time? I know they were going to extend, obviously, because of all this stuff. I don't, I'm checking Discord right now. I haven't seen any notice about when 
the promotion ends. Presumably there will be a cap on it, but uh, we'll say the 10th for now. So if you're seeing this, hearing this, get it in while you can. If not, try it anyway. What's the worst that'll happen? The code will reject. You know, you might as well try the codes. If, for example, somebody's watching the VODs, which I notice more people are watching the VODs on this, <clears throat> on my MythGuard content, which is interesting because people tended to not watch VODs on, or tend in general to not watch VODs on Twitch, to my knowledge. But anyway, so I want to talk about <clears throat> the hot topic of the evening. And that would be the balance survey. So it's a little bit off-center here, and there's a reason for that. I was doing my best to try and find a way to fit all this on screen so that way I could pull up a card next to it. It didn't really work out, as you can see. So we're just going to make do. So I also was considering doing this live. I had some of my responses in there, and I said, you know what, I'm just going to put the questions up. I, I took screenshots of everything. So if you're not familiar with what I'm talking about, if you head over to the official Mythgard Discord in the pins general channel, Rini put together this Google form, Google survey to get people's thoughts on current state of the game and number of things about the game as a whole. <laughs> no, no, not safe house this time, although it, it, it will come up. It'll come up. <laughs> so... I kind of want to talk about this, but first, before we dive into the questions, the, the first thing I want to put out there is I think this is really cool. I've played a lot of games over the years. I've interacted with a number of developers, a number of designers on a variety of different levels, ranging from they don't acknowledge you being in the room to they'll see you across the room and come find you. And when I'm saying the room, we're talking at, at larger events for Gen Con, for uh, PAX Unplugged, when they're doing demos, or electronic communications, whether it's Discord or email or whatever. Many companies, as many companies as there are, there's probably 10 times as many different levels, layers of communication and how they operate. It's down to each individual company and obviously the people therein and that's perfectly fine now i personally prefer when the teams are super open and they interact with the community as the rhino team does the the rhinos yes you don't see all of their names all the time typing in discord but there is a member or members commonly available for the community to to ping in one way shape or form I've seen companies that are even more open. I've seen companies that are less open. I think this is cool that they are communicating with the community to find out what the community wants. Now, there's an argument to say, design your game however you want it to be. And then if people like it, great. If they don't like it, they don't. And that's a fantastic argument and i actually do like it a lot legitimately i'm not trying to be sarcastic the problem is is that's all well and good when you are the world of warcraft team and you could say and i've mentioned this quote famous it, i want to say it was ghost crawler but don't hold me to that uh years ago they said something to the effect of well and this was i think in a fan q a or an ama or something like that if you don't like our game that's okay go play another game 
And that sounds really bad, but at the same time, it's this is the game we want to design. If you like it, fantastic. Not everything is for everybody, and trying to to do that makes everything super bland and boring because, you know, you, you take the lowest common denominator and say, all right, well, this is non-offensive to everyone, everyone, quote unquote. So everybody's just okay with it. But if you're really passionate about something, if you're really excited about something, almost by definition, and again, we're talking about in the realm of card games here, let's not go wild, people. Uh, if you're really passionate about something, Odds are there's somebody else that absolutely hates it because they don't like that sort of game and that's okay. That's a very easy argument to make when you're the big dog. When you're a smaller game such as Mythgard, that's a lot more challenging. And that's why I appreciate when they're reaching out because it could ultimately be whatever feedback the community gives does not materialize. And there is a risk even doing this because there are people out there that will get butthurt because they said, well, I wrote this dissertation. Rhino never even read it. And they just put it right in the shredder. It's like, no, I'm, I'm sure they read it. It may not fall into what their plans and scope are. It may not be able to be accomplished with the team that they have. It may not be reasonable or the thing you're suggesting is just so out there it could be ridiculous or it could cross some legal boundaries since we're talking about a game that's played internationally. There are a lot of different factors that could play into this. Just taking a brief moment to check chat. I didn't do the balance survey. I'm of the opinion that I think Rhino will figure things out by listening to someone that is less of a card jerk than I am. Well, the thing is, Atona, and that's part of the reason why I'm talking about is that I think it's worth getting all of the varied opinions. So the very first question is, what is your average rank and time spent playing Mythgard? And this isn't like a gear check in an MMO. Everyone's opinion matters legitimately. And I, I again, this is not intended to be sarcasm. It's not making a joke. If you play Mythgard an hour a week versus my probably 20 to 30 hours a week, there's probably way more of you, hypothetical person, than there are of me. And your aggregate hours are going to dwarf the amount of hours that I put into the game. Additionally, it's, you know, the Walmart approach of the person who spends an hour in the game and spends five bucks, if there's hundreds or thousands of them as compared to one of me, yes, the whole whale approach is a thing. But that doesn't necessarily mean that that is the only revenue stream. Like there are a lot of factors that go into this where someone who plays less does legitimately have and should have a voice in all of this. And even if your view is, as I classically say on stream, unique, such as mine, I'm telling you right now, I'm confident that I'm going to be in the minority for a lot of the answers on these questions compared to the community at large Because I have very unique tastes in card games and what I want to play. Catering to me, in all likelihood, is a mistake. (laughs) They should not take, like, definitely take my feedback. But if I want A and everybody else wants 17, or like, I mentioned pineapples and you're talking about the, you know what I mean? Like, they can be wildly different things and that's fine. Mythgard has actually been pretty friendly as far as that goes already. I'm glad they don't go to the whale approach. Yeah, it's, I mean, let's be real. It's a free-to-play game. By virtue of that, there are going to be, it's going to inherently include the whale approach. But yes, it's not, 
Mythgard, especially in light of the promotion that we were just talking about a few minutes ago with the core codes and just the general card acquisition rate, I'm kind of floored that I was able to acquire, I mean, I play a lot. I put in money when I started and when the sets came out. It's amazing that I was able to acquire so much of the card pool compared to other games I played where it's, I put in comparable amounts of time and cash and still been way farther behind than I am in Mythgard. Is Mythgard the most friendly game when it comes to card acquisition? Probably not. I'm not entirely sure. I can't adequately speak on that, but I've definitely played larger games, we'll say, that are way worse. Both on every front. (laughs) Uh, Chat saying, but also I want more instant speed interaction that disrupts the flow of the game on my opponent's turn, kind of inherently goes against the design we've already established. Not quite. So we will get into the more specific um, survey questions, but Richard Garfield, which I'm sure many people will recognize that name. Uh, There was an article years ago, probably more than a decade ago, talking about asymmetric games and asynchronous games where, like Mythgard, you don't really interact on your opponent's turn. And the idea is that you can, for the most part, encompass most of the interaction that's contained in games that actually have you interact on your opponent's turn. We're talking Magic, talking the WoW TCG, other games, where there's a a quote-unquote true decision point. You can get most of that without the added layer of insane complexity in these asynchronous games. And I think it is possible you just have to be super creative about it. The caddy likes it. As I said days ago, I mostly completed the two expansions in two months, except some mythics, which are most likely less than double digits number. Yeah. And a lot of the time, yes, you will miss certain mythics. Don't get me wrong. But there are a lot of cards in this game where it's if I don't want to play deck X, I don't need those specific cards. Probably both. I don't know how. How do we get on cartoon cats? I don't know how we got to Heathcliff and Garfield. Although, to be honest, so this is a total, totally random aside. Uh, there are two Garfield-related things. One is somebody on the internet does Garfield without Garfield, where they just Photoshop out Garfield and all his lines in the comics, and they are way funnier without Garfield. Two, somebody made a trailer for an like 8-bit NES sort of Garfield horror game, where Garfield is like, the thing like the movie the thing garfield is the thing and it's all about john going insane and then going back or like the whole game is a flashback from him going insane fighting garfield thing it was really creepy it was a really long trailer like i was blown away by the level of detail but these are all random things that, that come up ah random thoughts i love that art so i love pixel art um I've tried, obviously, Chompers. We'll we'll throw them up there with a quick chomp. Chompers is not exactly... Wait, what's happening to Chomp? Why isn't it working? There we go. Why did that not come up? Is my my keyboard shortcut might be broken, which reminds me, I don't think I put that on for the, the balance thing, but we'll correct that in a second. I love pixel art. It's... Uh, we mentioned it when talking about other games, but... Hey, Midge, what's going on? What's good? 
I see a chomp from Andre. Let's see if it... Ah, there we go. Now it's working. There we go. We got an extra chomp. So, uh, let's talk about the balance survey. So, I already answered the first question on stream. I, I'm putting like 20 hours a week. And I've made champion every season that I've been playing. Which, to be honest, I didn't expect to in my first season. I kind of anticipated I was going to hover around gold and that I'd make the climb as I learned. But... When I hit Mithril, I said, all right, I'm going to make the, try and make the push for champion. I made it with time to spare, which is cool. Uh, and this isn't a humble brag, but it's to couch the discussion. Obviously, if you've been watching the stream, you know all the the, the dumb, dumb misplays that I make. So <laughs> there's only so much to be gleaned there. Um, so lots of you want to balance safe house. Why do you feel it is overwhelming or too powerful? So like we were saying, Yodler, earlier, we're going to get to safe house. I think we could spend a lot of time on this for, you know, all of the obvious reasons. I did a separate video about this, and we talk about it like we used to talk about Believer. However, I think it's worth discussing it one more time. Just one more time. Just fixing the overlay real quick. So... The way I started my answer for this was I personally feel that safe house is, and forgive the redundancy, too safe. I think that for the majority of safe house decks, it's actually very difficult for aggro to fight them. And I was thinking about this earlier, where if you picture a rock, paper, scissors metagame, safe house beats aggro, aggro beats disc, disc beats safe house. Hypothetically, we'll get to that later. But let's assume that relationship. I think the aggro to disc setup is disc has a higher chance of beating aggro than aggro has a, a beating safe house, I guess is the way I'd put it, at least in my opinion. Now, it's going to depend on the builds, obviously the draws, the player skill, etc. But I think that's mostly true. And again, those relationships aren't hard and fast, but I think that safe house is too safe i don't have a problem though and this kind of bleeds into a separate argument because i saw it in discord i don't have a problem with the ladder being infested with safe house i understand and this is me personally again my that's why i think a lot of my opinions are going to vary from the general population i don't care if everything's a safe house mirror because there's actually a variety of safe house lists that show up However, as was mentioned in stream before, and probably in a billion other places as well, that is not a common opinion. Most people don't want to queue into safe house 50,000 times every time that they hit the ladder. For that reason alone, I think that it is justifiable to balance safe house in a different way. Now, I mentioned in my video that I actually am coming around and or have come around to the idea of lowering the life total extra life that you start with on safe house in order to give aggressive builds more oomph they they have more of a, a fighting chance and i think that would do wonders for the game as a whole if aggro were more powerful now that doing this to safe house isn't the only way to do it and we'll probably talk about it again when we get to the horn question when we get to some of nerfing mythics and all those sort of things but i think if you give aggro more of a chance 
it will help cure a lot of the ills that I, at least in my opinion, that people are complaining about. Yes, it will then immediately shift to everybody screaming bloody murder that the sky is falling because you can't beat aggro. However, I think giving them one extra turn in some way, shape, or form, whether it's slightly stronger aggro cards, slightly weaker control cards, or a number of other things, it allows the game to flow slightly differently. There's a little more stress on each burn decision. There's a little more emphasis on each removal card played so that you can't simply smother your aggro opponent and be as greedy as a lot of these decks tend to be. If people are concerned about, oh, well, I'm just filling my deck with good stuff piles, it's 40 unique cards because it's a bunch of mythics or something like that, aggro is the fun police and keeps those things in check. It allows or forces decisions to have to be made at the deck construction level and at the in-game play level in a different fashion. So, for example, Grand Finale. What if Grand Finale took an extra turn to play or you were threatened a turn earlier so you may not even get to the finale does your burn decision change probably not you're probably still burning the same thing so you could play the other card but it does force you to do other things i think safe house is also completely suppressing mid-range i could see that jinxie because even for a mid-rangey deck you pretty much want to be safe house because it's still better than the alternatives against aggressive strategies, even though we're saying that they're weaker. But then you just get crushed by the greedier strategies, because by definition, you are the aggro in that matchup. If you're the mid-range deck going into a control deck, you're not going to outlast them. Safe House allows you to, and I again mentioned in the video, accelerate. You're not giving up pretty much anything for not playing anything in those early turns. I think in conjunction, the fact that it plays so well with things like Rush is kind of problematic. Blight is one thing, and we talked about this on stream maybe this weekend, a couple weeks ago, I'm not sure, where some of the paths, maybe even a lot of them, feel as though they had a specific color or color combination in mind. Clearly with Disc, you want to play green, for example. Safe House feels like it should have been paired with yellow because Blight. But the problem is that Rush plus the flag means that red and purple are arguably more desirable. You can still get, obviously, green-yellow Safe House is still a thing. But it's a... It feels a little weird. What if Safe House tokens gave stun so they can't be used with Rush? That's interesting, Zithwan. I hadn't honestly considered that. For me, I know a lot of people want to increase the cost on the tokens. I like, as I mentioned, reducing the life total on it. I would like to see maybe not even generating tokens, to be perfectly honest. Either you get the buff or you get the token, but you don't have the flexibility of both. I've, thought, I've mentioned that on stream before. There's there's a lot of ways that this could be changed, but I think that's what's driving this question is, what is the problem we're actually trying to solve? Yes, everybody's going to say, well, safe house is everywhere. Okay, well, what do we want to see and what's going to be healthy? Because right now, because how powerful safe house has been and how omnipresent safe house has been, 
I don't know that anyone can confidently say they know exactly what the meta is going to look like once Safe House departs. It'll obviously be chaos for a little while, but is it going to settle into something else that's arguably worse? I'm not sure. And that's why I think it's important to identify what are the specific pain points for Safe House. So one is, I think it punishes you for playing the game in a way that's oppressive. It's a very delicate line to walk because arguably removal does the same thing. Oh, well, I played a guy and they just killed it. That's not the same. Your your opponent as a safe house player is not investing any cards. They're not losing any tempo. They're, they're just accruing this stuff for free. And I really do think that it's so powerful that you can get these free burns. Even if you draw, quote-unquote, garbage, a already burned card, for example, it then gets it out of the way so you can get to a burnable card. There are a lot of things that allow you to to cheat a little bit because of the way Safe House works. Additionally, and this is part of why I brought up they should either not make the tokens or not buff, turning Racer and Shadow into a 3-mana deal 5 to a minion with the road. Yes, you had to play purple, you had to have Racer, you had to have the token, and you had to play a road. That technically is multiple boxes to check. It's not a whole lot. Like, you're not asking a lot of anyone to do that. You could obviously do the same in red, or to some extent. It's going to cost a little bit more, but you get the point. I think also, given the power level, and this is not necessarily a inherent problem to safe house, but it is at the same time. The power level of cards in Mythgard is absolutely insane. I don't think anyone's going to contend that. A lot of the powerful cards cost a lot. One of the drawbacks of playing control is that your deck is less consistent. Your early game, because you have to run these seven cost cards or whatever, may suffer because what if you open a hand with everything costs five or more? Well, guess what? You're probably going to get run over by aggro. The fact that you, you are able to dig earlier both for resource drops as well as actually finding ways to deal with your opponent's board this early in the game, in addition to having bodies because of the flag just makes it that much easier to claw your way into the powerful cards that will turn the game around immediately. I don't think we need to kneecap safe house to the point that it's unplayable. And I don't think there needs to be that much done to it to try and get it more in line. But I think that also leads to one of the other issues is that safe house feels out of line compared to many other paths. And if they were all on the same level, we would arguably see the same sort of builds materializing, but I think people might accept it more. So let's check chat real quick. I always, always saw that aggro is hated in every CCG for being brain dead because people will always remember that loss. I didn't draw anything to help me out. Losing the match in five turns feels bad. Yeah. But there, like a broke record, your decisions matter more. When I play safe house, I feel like my decisions don't matter versus mid-range and aggro. I just win by virtue of greediness. I would agree for the most part with you, Yodeler, both on the general consensus of card gamers. A lot of people hate aggro for that reason, despite the fact that they don't realize that many control matchups are effectively five turns also. A lot of decisions don't matter. It's going to be contingent on what you draw at the appropriate times. 
it's often, and I'm not just speaking Mythgard here, often in card games, period, that it's masked because, oh, well, the game took 35 turns. I had to have made a bunch of decisions. Now, did you really? And depending on the game and the scenario, we could go into more detail, but generally, I agree with you. It's actually more than that with the racer. Without any other card except for the racer and token, it's four. One mana, deal four. Yes, I agree with you, Tony. That's why I was emphasizing the five when it goes to a road or obviously, you know, other things that come in. <laughs> You're absolutely right, Euler. Uh, much of what I'm seeing on ladder is hyper aggro to try and beat safe house, safe house, some form of disc, and a very rare horn combo. I think you're right, Jinxie. And the, the thing is, is that depending on the safe house version, I don't think hyper aggro, and I've had this discussion with Doctor offline. Obviously, as many stream regulars will recognize, he's a, a big fan of mono red aggro. I don't know that it's actually favored against safe house. It may be contingent on going first, going second. But for example, if you're playing purple safe house and they have racer and axe man, you're probably in bad shape. Even yellow green, they could have corrode early on and venom fang mutant. They could have life gain. It, you can beat these safe house decks by blitzing them down. It's not necessarily the the most consistent strategy. And it, here's the other thing is that. A lot of these discussions you would think, oh, well, because safe house is everywhere, why doesn't somebody just play something to beat safe house? There are two counter arguments. One, people may just be sick of playing against safe house, so they, they are not playing or playing certain things because they just don't want to deal with it. Oh, yeah, I'm not putting word, not trying to put words in your mouth, Jinxie, <laughs> but I follow you. But the other part is... If I, I have faith in the Mythgard community that if there was something that was consistently beating Safe House, it would be getting played. Right? Like, wouldn't, wouldn't you just play it and then rack up a gazillion points? Now, you could go fall back to argument number one that people just don't want to play that deck, but it seems like there is a problem. Even if there isn't, let's assume that there is a deck and everybody's just blind to whatever that deck is. The fact of the matter is, is that there is an inordinate amount of safe house existing. I don't think anybody will deny that. Therefore, something needs to be done just by virtue of that. And that was actually an argument. If we look at other games, Wizards of the Coast put out for Magic years ago for other formats where if a deck, even if it isn't oppressive, even if it isn't winning every tournament, even if it isn't doing something broken, if it's taking up an inordinate amount of mind share, of meta share, it's worth looking at. Safe house is 50-50 against safe house seems like a decent bet. Very true. Safe house with stretcher. I mean, stretcher seems to be good. You could make an argument that ice wall does perform well, but that's the other thing. And I mentioned this in the video as well. How much are you coughing up by playing these sort of things? We're saying that the entire ladder is infested with safe house and it certainly feels that way, but it's not necessarily healthy to have your matchups be 90-10 all the time. Uh, so back to the, the central question, why do you feel it is overwhelming or too powerful? I think it provides too many tools too early in the game. I don't like variants. I don't like introducing variants. I don't like balancing things with variants across all kinds of games, not just card games. In fact, some of my old teammates in other games used to bust my chops about it all the time, that it was <laughs> like I had an allergy to variants. However, that is supposed to be part of the balancing with control, 
to some extent, not the only one, but you are supposed to be sacrificing that early game and then you slowly or you you try and build this advantage to turn the game around because you inherently are giving away part of it early on. Safehouse kind of bandages, band-aids, however you want to look at it, all of those early vulnerabilities. You just are able to check all of those boxes. You're not... So if we look at ACC... Both of them encourage you doing what the archetype wants to do. ACC wants you to vomit your hand on the board, play aggro, go for the throat. Safehouse wants you to to hold back and actually, you know, try and, as we said, be the control deck. The problem that I found is that ACC forces you to play cards. By definition, Safehouse encourages you not to play cards, and therefore you will have more for later in the game. You can get that card advantage, and because of the power level of so many Mythguard's high-end control cards, I feel like it's easier to flip everything, and Safehouse is fixing the problem with control, that early game issue, where you might have to make an awkward burn decision. You might not have the early drop. Instead, you have flag and card draw now. Whereas ACC is making what you already do better, they, they are very close, but ACC just buffs the already aggressive start. Safehouse fixes the weakness in the early game is, at least in my opinion, one of the major issues with it. It sounds cool as, as the symmetry. I think it just needs to be tweaked a little bit. So that's a, a lot of words about Safehouse that probably everybody's already heard a million times from myself included so let's look at the next one this one's going to be more extensive and i'm probably going to have to flip the the survey off while we're talking about it so what cards feel horrible to play against or lose to i'm not looking for a massive list from each person but an idea of what you guys find the most frustrating like let's say the limit of five so what are the top five worst or not top five worst Top five cards that I personally find frustrating in Mythgard. I'll be perfectly honest. When I tried to do this offline, I couldn't get past three. And I'm not trying to make a joke. I honestly went through the card pool. And I could not find more than three cards that I hated. And one of them was Forgeling. Now, obviously, Forgeling the card is not the issue. I just can't stand Fires of Creation. Murmur was number one, Forgeling, and then All Father's Horn. And I'm not even clear about the last one. I don't like it personally, but I think it serves an important purpose. So here's where I'm going to flip off. (laughs) Not that flip off. I'm going to turn off the survey so we can look at the card pool. So I don't find Believer or Egg to be frustrating. I think they're actually in, in a good spot for the most part. I mentioned before, I think Believer needs to be a not-random discard. I think that's... If I was going to stretch it and look specifically for things that frustrate me, I think that's fine. Like, as a as an example. You have a removal card, you could deal with Believer if you just are able to play it. And then Believer rips it out of your hand. Everyone answered this question with Podium. That would actually be kind of funny. <laughs> I've never even seen it hit play. I think removing the randomness is certainly a power hit, 
I think that's fine. I, I can't imagine anyone complains about this card then. Uh, and it's still, as a in general, it's still a two-for-one. Your opponent removes it, and they discard a card. Sure, it's not the thing you wanted, but that's fine. It's still good. Uh, I don't find Egg to be problematic. The reason being is I think the power level it's at, I don't think it can be nerfed much more before it would be unplayable. Uh, Egg already is often very difficult to play, partially because of safe house uh, and, you know, random rush things with flags or uh, Triforge Trooper tokens on them. I think there's a lot of ways to deal with Egg in a reasonable fashion. It gives it, and it's also, in my opinion, virtually useless past turn one. If you play it later than turn one, certainly later than turn two, it takes too long for it to often matter. The scenarios that I think a lot of people remember is, like, oh, well, my opponent played Neg on turn four and they killed me with it. Well, yes, it was also because they played four minions before that. The egg was the fourth one, maybe, and you were dead anyway. At least those are the games that I've lost to egg. I don't think that it necessarily needs to get hit. Egg is kind of awful after turn two unless you drop three of them. Exactly, Yodeler. I mean, I've had games where I played eggs that hatched from the egg on one. You still lose because, you know, they can just deal with the body. That's an interesting idea, this is the one with having the, the egg not do face damage. I think doing the face damage is important. Uh, since the damage got nerfed, it's also not as much of a big deal. Um... I don't know. I If we're going to... And this is, in general, like how it's going to couch the discussion for the rest of the survey and things. I think there are tons of things that could be changed, egg included. You know, you could certainly change these things, but I don't know that they necessarily need to be. I did, I will understand. If, if you tell me, Zithwan, or anyone else tells me, I don't like egg, Thunderbird egg. I don't like the way that it... It uh, drives certain things in the game. I think that the power level is too high. I think, whatever. I will believe you, and I would accept that. I think it's perfectly fine for that to be the case. I don't know if... It, there's a level where it's we can just change things for the sake of changing them, and it's just different. So, like, Atona's suggestion, that was actually one of the things that came to mind when Zithwan made his suggestion, is what if you changed Egg that it always dealt, say, 7 damage, and the excess damage goes to face. And I'm making up 7, maybe that's too much, whatever. So if you play a 4 health guy in front of the Egg, it hatches, it deals 4 there, and then deals 3 to face. Something like that. It would obviously have to be less than 7, based on that example, but you get the idea. There are a lot of ways that it could be changed even into something totally different. You know, keep the hatch mechanic and it does something else. But I think there's a level where it's, okay, these are the, the cards as we have them. So I went through the card pool. I was just kind of skimming it, not by rarity. But there are cards, honestly, that I think would be deserving of a change that are not played. Like, for example, Hydrophonic Hank seems... There is no way anyone feels good about this thing other than, oh yeah, I connected with Hank. Because either you're ruining their hand on top of having a forged mythic, or 
you're doing nothing because, oh, you hit a card that's meaningless. Because again, random. This is not a a worthwhile... Like, I don't think this card should exist, but who the hell cares about a Hydrophonic Hank, to be perfectly honest? And I agree with you, Jinxie. You probably would require a... I'm not aware of any cards that... Any spells that do overrun damage. Well, whatever. It would probably get a new keyword or something, but um, it's a very easy thing to explain. It's probably not going to be an easy thing to code. I think Plague Maidens deserves a change back to the way it was. I could get behind that, but that's uh, later on. <laughs> so to be honest, I went through stuff. I do not really... There are... You know, I'm always super tilted losing to Ingrid because virtually every Valkyrie player... I play against has Ingrid on six. That's super frustrating. I don't think that's something that justifiably goes on the list. You can make an argument for things like Yara. I also don't feel that that goes on the list. I truly don't think that there are many cards. Actually, Code, it's not super hard. Well, that's always a difficult thing, Yodeler. It's. It depends. It might be easy, it might not. There's no way to know what the code behind Mythgard is other than if you're one of the coders, and that's the thing. It could be easy to write a single segment of code to handle it, but that doesn't necessarily mean that it integrates well with the rest of it, so. Uh, and as somebody, yeah, I I, I used to, quote-unquote, be a coder. I, I That's not my life anymore. <laughs> So back to things that need to be changed. Okay, so these aren't frustrating things. I think both Stairway and to have them back should instead give Ephemeral. Again, arbitrary change. Maybe not arbitrary, but a change that isn't really speaking to the purpose of the question, which again, since I don't have it on screen, is intended to find cards that are super frustrating to play against. I think a general rule that could be applied to virtually every card mythics we're talking about or any of these quote-unquote power cards is just increase their cost by one. Having them come out a turn later would drastically change the face of Mythgard. Drastically. At least in my opinion. I don't think it would significantly impact control matchups in a lot of scenarios, and I think it would massively buff aggro, and I think that would shift everything immensely. Should be easy is not the same as is easy. Absolutely, Jinxie. But honestly, as I'm going through a lot of these things, I truly do not find a lot of these cards individually to be frustrating. I think in conjunction with specific scenarios is where they become frustrating. Specific board states, specific matchups, which doesn't necessarily speak to me as something that needs to be changed. I I just don't think so. I, I can't really justify it. I put Murmur up here because it's still frustrating to lose to it. Um, I could put Perfect Rate on here because there are plenty of times where somebody just slams a Perfect Rate or reanimates a Perfect Rate, and it's just like, okay, there's literally no way for me to deal with that. I lose. It happens. I, I just don't have a problem where things like Grand Finale, which has frequently been a is a single spaghetti single spaghetti noodle called a spaghetto. 
I don't think I've ever seen that question before. That's that's amusing. Um, the grand finale is obviously immensely powerful. Could it be nerfed? Yes. But this is a question that I've mentioned on stream before. So to answer the, the survey question with a question. At what point in the game should the game end? And under what circumstances can a single card <laughs> can a single card end the game? I think grand finale saying the game ends on turn eight because I hit four unique cards, one of which is a mythic over the course of eight turns might be reasonable. I could see an argument in putting it at eight, putting it at ten, having it do different stuff. That's fine, but I think this verges into the territory of we're just doing things for the sake of doing them. Or maybe not for the sake of doing them. That makes it sound more negative. It's just, I don't want the game to be this way. I want it to be this way, which is fine. But it isn't. I don't think it's problematic that this card or Scylla, which will come up and we'll talk about again in a little while, are that powerful. Like, I think that's fine. Exactly, Jinxie. Finale could be 8 and it would be totally fine. Finale could probably be 9 and it would be fine. The issue is, is I don't know that that matters with the exception of my earlier buff aggro argument. And I agree with you, Zithwan. Finale could be problematic if they make more Forge cards. Honestly, if I were guessing, and I have no way to know this, based on card game experience from other games, when you see something like Finale, you will never again see a card that's useful for it. One of two things will happen. They will literally never make forged cards again. Or two, the only forged cards that are printed are so bad that even in Finale, you would never play them. That's just been my experience in other games when these sort of theme decks show up where I'm playing a Grand Finale deck and you just don't get any future help for it. Often those strategies don't even work. You know, like you'll get this super powerful card and then they're terrible. Uh, we actually got a number of Forge cards, namely this one. Which to be honest, this is another card that if I was going to add to this list of things that frustrate me, it would be the Helicarrier. And I hesitate because I like the Helicarrier so much, it does exactly what it should do. It's a card that provides a huge amount of advantage independent of itself. However, I could. this is something that I could see getting nerfed in some fashion. Change the Forge to be something meaningless. So it can still be fetched by Grand Finale. You still get your six-pack troopers, but you just don't get... you don't get to play them for free or something. Um... There, there's a lot of different ways to do this, changes that could be made. I could see an argument being made for Bedma Helicarrier because this one almost falls into the believer discussion where the times where it's super oppressive have to be an exceptionally small portion of the games as a whole. However, you will remember those games when somebody reanimated this on Curve or somebody played it and it's just like they locked you out of the game because they gummed up every single lane and there's just no reasonable way because you require two different kinds of removal mass removal for the troopers and then single target removal for the helicarrier it presents threats on multiple fronts 
which is not necessarily something you can say about all the other things in Mythgard. Even a Sapo, yes, you require specific things to get rid of Worded, but any single target removal will deal with it. You don't need single target and a Misanthropia. Vedma Helicarrier is like a four for one sort of thing. Check and chat real quick. Uh, okay, so we're talking about the Forge cards. Helicarrier is fine by itself. Finale seems like the problem to me. I don't know if that's true, Ragnar, and I and I say that honestly. I don't know. Because I think Finale, in conjunction with Helicarrier, is the least offensive time. And the reason I say that is if they finaled anything else, I'm assuming I lost that game, or I'm going to need to do jump through a bunch of hoops. So... Yes, Venma Helicarrier makes it exponentially worse. But I think there's something about the mindset where, at least to me, it's not as frustrating because it's like, all right, well, they grand finale. They're going to get a bunch of stuff. When they reanimate it with a Necro, or even if they hard cast it on eight, it feels different uh, and feels more oppressive. Where a Venma Helicarrier necessitates, like, this is the worst scenario. They either finale. And then follow it up once you dealt with the finale with Helicarrier, or Helicarrier and then finale. Which, yes, the, now we're talking multiple things. Obviously, it's going to be worse, but I find those as worse scenarios than any grand finale, to be honest. I don't know if, like, Necro, yes, there are, because Necro could also be on this list. Let's look at Necro. Oh, because we're only on Winter War. I forgot I put those on. Come on. There's a lot of people that will probably put this on their list, and I can, again, understand why. I like the idea of things such as Vedma Helicarrier and Perfect Grade in conjunction with this, because that's the kind of minion that you need in order to justify doing this. Now, don't get me wrong. Pulling back a short stagger in Iku is pretty bonkers, too. Pulling back whatever is pretty bonkers. I think people have recognized at this stage you run bounce, you run single target removal, and it's fine. It's a valid strategy. I think the issue is specifically Vedma Helicarrier. It felt bad. Don't like I lost and still continue to lose plenty of games to disc. They'll reanimate something, and you just can't deal with it sometimes. I don't think that's any different than anything else that any other deck does that's unfair. Aggro runs you over, control smothers you. Necro randomly reanimates an enormous thing. I don't think that's problematic inherently. The issue is the specific reanimation targets, and that is probably never going to go away because in order to have those high-end perfect-grade sort of minions that take over the game, recover the game for control decks, they're then by definition going to be available for the necromantic unless you randomly start tagging ephemeral on all of them sort of thing i have no idea what movie that is atona so i'm gonna go with no <laughs> i have no idea um i like reanimator strategies in other games 
I think they're fun. I think a lot of people, it's fun to have that rush of, yeah, I dumped an Iku into play on turn four. And to be honest, turn four is not unreasonable in the grand scheme for that thing to exist. A lot of decks come online with single target removal on turn four, turn five, or bounce. All right, I'll keep that in mind, Atona. <laughs> I agree with you, Yodeler. I I think... So, remember the the context of the question. I'm going to throw this back up here. The context of the question here is what cards feel horrible to play against or lose to. I am confident there's a lot of people that are going to put Necromantic, Helicarrier, Grand Finale, Wings, Seven Ring Ritual, uh, Sapo, Misanthropia, Magnus, Thunderclap, Believer. You know, the list goes on and on. For me, and this is again why I think my opinion is very skewed, I played enough card games over the years and for long enough that all of these things have happened in some, like these are not new concepts for card games, any of these things that are happening. It's okay for these things to exist. And I think this goes back to the question that I answered the previous question with is what does, what is the game the Rhino team wants to make? And then I'll tell you whether things are out of line with that. Because if you tell me that at 7 mana, if you play a 7 mana spell, you should be able to close out the game in 2 turns after that. Okay, 7 ring ritual's fine. Finale's fine. If you're if the rhinos turn around and say, no, we think 9 mana, you should close it out like turn 11, or it should take 4 turns from the 7 mana spell. Okay, now we have a problem, because these cards close out the game much quicker than that. Check in chat real quick. Do I have to spoil you? What are the... Uh, I think Necro is a card that should exist, but I think they should keep that in mind that it does. I think it shouldn't be nerfed, but having other ways to deal with Raven all colors. I agree, Atone. I mentioned before that I would like to have all generic, like Graveyard Hate, removal, draw, available to all factions in their own flavorful way. And yes, there's an argument that they, some have to be better at it than others. I'm not sure I buy that personally, but... Graveyard strats are very polarizing. Absolutely, Ragnar. And they're very dangerous. I think we all know in other games that things have gone south very quickly when you suddenly have, you know, a 17-card, 20-card, 30-card hand because you're also counting all the cards in your graveyard. Hey, Hale, how you doing? I personally enjoy Necro, but there are definitely some games that you completely high-roll win. You're right, Jinxie. I would wonder how many games are high-roll win to... Necro compared to anything else. Oh, you absolutely will. And that's why I, I brought up the, the question here again. Because the context is, what is the most frustrating? And this goes back to the argument we said earlier where I compared it to Magic and some of the rules that they had for banning cards in one of their formats. One of them that I mentioned earlier was, does it take up an inordinate meta share? One of the other ones, is the card unfun? Even if it's not oppressive... Even if it's not an enormous meta share, even if it doesn't win all the tournaments, a card can justifiably be changed or banned simply because it is such a killjoy. I am of the opinion that there are not many cards in Mythgard that fit that category. And believe me, off stream, I will get upset about certain losses. However, it is specifically because my opponent had that card in that instance at that time not because of that card in general like it's perfectly fine right as a whole 
<laughs> yeah. I think unfun is such a nebulous reason to ban things. I'm still upset they banned Top Top as a fun card. I agree. It is nebulous. It is unclear. But there are certain things that, and not to, this was a a famous Supreme Court case in the United States where one of the judges said, I may not be able to define pornography, but I know it when I see it. And that's kind of where this goes, is that it may be very difficult to explain what unfun means. However, there are certain cases where I think pretty much everybody will agree, no, that sucks. Like, that's a problem. And that's where you have to step in. It's very hard to make that argument, but it is a valid one. So that's why I, I mentioned it also in the, the Safe House video. You, know, you, don't, you don't remember the games where they never drew Necro and you stomped them. Actually, I do personally, Jinxie, but I get where you're going with it. Because I have made it a point, and I recommend people to try this themselves also. Try and think about the games you won after you win them. And admit to yourself, did you get lucky? Like, did your opponent stumble and they just didn't hit that thunderclap and you vomited your hand on the board even though you knew if they had thunderclap you'd lose and you won anyway? Or they never found that misanthropia? Or you top-decked that Sapo to kill them? Or you top-decked the whatever? You got, it's important to admit to yourself when these things happen. So, and to that point, if anyone else is, I, I A, recommend everybody fill this thing out. Fill it out honestly. It's in, I'm started at the top. It's important for everybody to get these opinions out there. Hey, Solonex, what's good? We're talking about the uh, the balance survey that's out in Discord right now. Um, and as I was about to say, everybody fill it out. Be honest with yourself about whether you really find these things frustrating or are they frustrating in the moment. And I think that's the differentiation for this this question. Yoler saying, I always remember the bad matches. I remember the stomp matches too, but I don't remember how I got it. I, I might figure it out if I think hard enough, but it's not my mind right away. It is something that's difficult to recognize. You know, humans are funny that way. It's easy to remember those one-off instances of variance. It's harder to remember the one-off instances of variance that go in your favor because, you know, it's an ego hit to some extent. But it is an important step, I think. And it's also important from, you know, growing your play skill of, Okay, did I win this matchup because of luck, or did I win this matchup because I played super well? Oh man, balance survey. <laughs> Prime bound believer census peeps. <laughs> believe it or not, Solon X, believer, I haven't heard a complaint about it in a while. It was funny because we were talking about that a few moments ago, but also in the, the safe house video that I did and put up on YouTube, I alluded to the fact that he used to be believer all the time, and now safe house is the boogeyman. But I digress. My take on the survey was as long as seven manas are the most powerful, the, the game mid-range won't exist. That's a fair argument, Hale, actually. Uh, and that kind of goes back to, I don't know if I said this before you had jumped in chat. My answer to these questions, pretty much across the board, but I specifically mentioned it in response to the safe house question is, what is the Rhino's vision for the game? Is it okay for seven mana spell or seven mana minion to end the game or effectively end the game or basically it's one step away from closing the game out? How What turn should the game end on? How much power is then 
or excuse me, let me rephrase that. That drives how much power is packed into a given seven mana card, an eight mana card, a two mana card, because you're targeting a specific turn. Right now, if you grant finale and it's a decent finale, the game ends one or two turns after that, barring your opponent having very specific answers. Same thing for seven ring ritual. Same thing for, you know, insert horn, which could happen earlier also, but, you know, insert arbitrary seven mana card. If the game is seven mana, the game ends. Ending in air quotes. That is, and I said this before, so I appreciate, sorry for the broken record, but that is not bad. It's just a thing. And then we have to design the game. We, not literally us, but, you know, the developers have to design the game around that fact and accept that is going to put certain limitations on the game and the gameplay and the meta. And again, that's not bad, but it is a thing. By definition, we're putting constraints on everything. It's the way card games work. For me, it's a natural consequence of the best cards go up to 10 because we can burn up to 10. I can see that argument. Yeah, it depends on, again, what they want the game to be. Do they? I don't know exactly what that game, the game looks like if all of these cards suddenly cost 10. I think it would be better to increase cost to buff aggro, but it can be done in other ways. If the game is 7 mana, the game ends. Cards that take more than 7 mana investment to get, like, Daigoju are kind of bad design. Not every card has to be good, and not every card has to be competitive level. So, for example, Daigoju. This card basically ends the game, just not in as abrupt or direct a fashion as the other cards we're talking about. Is it weaker than the other cards? And I'll take down the, uh, the survey momentarily. Yes. You can't tell me this is on the same power level as Grand Finale. It's just not. I don't think anyone's going to make that argument. Maybe there'll be something in the future that does it. But the fact that this card is not on that power level isn't necessarily bad, and it's not necessarily bad design. But fillers aren't something you want to have in a game. I would say that, Yodeler. However, you would be hard-pressed to convince most good game designers that that's true. Additionally, I think you'd be hard-pressed to convince most, uh, well, business people will say that that is not true. Yeah, Jigsy, not all cards are intended to be tournament-targeted. Not all cards are, because it could be for limited, it could be for new players, because there is the whole, you teach people with these cards. <laughs> Paraphrasing Marrow, uh, I don't like that argument. I don't like, a lo- I don't like having, ba- I would rather have smaller sets and all good cards. Full stop. But I understand why there are bad cards in the arguments for and against them. And by definition, the good cards are going to push out other cards. So as time goes on, like Daigoju, I don't know, maybe historically was very good. And now it's bad. I'm not sure. But having different power levels is fine. I used to lure my friends to Mythgard, and one of its merit was it has no filler cards. Fair. <laughs> that argument may change. I don't even think Daigoju is that bad. It's just weirdly designed compared to the intent of the power level of cards with less investment. Daigoju is very good in specific situations. I agree, Atona, and I love the card itself. It's funny they're having this exactly same discussion on Discord. I promise I'm not looking at Discord right now and pulling <laughs> talking points. I'm, this is all off the top of my head. I think the game needs mid-range. I don't see the point of limiting the game between aggro and control. Uh, there's an argument that right now it's between aggro control and combo. Combo being disc or, or rainbow. 
and by rainbow I mean horn. <laughs> um, it's we'll we'll talk about horn shortly because that's one of the specific questions. I would like to see a number of things happen that would likely as the reasons I want those things to happen that I haven't uh, elucidated yet, but they would, as a side effect, probably introduce mid-range, and I think that's fine. It's a one-card combo, Tona. Haven't you played Vintage Magic? <laughs> um, it's technically not a one-card combo. It's probably like a six- or seven-card combo. The thing is that you lay the bricks for it over the course of several turns. But we'll we'll talk about Horn in detail momentarily. It may be the next question. But yeah, as I said, if anybody hasn't filled this out, definitely fill it out. And I'm going to keep repeating that. It's an interesting question being the most frustrating because there's a lot of ways to interpret that and to apply that. You need a board for it to be useful? As I said in Discord, that's not necessarily true, Jinxie. And it was on stream. I, I had like four or five games in a row where I was playing Orange, Blue, Rainbow, and my board was a single minion. And in some cases, that single minion was being blocked. And I still killed somebody. Every one of those games. It's it's bonkers. Um, and that's why it, it kind of goes into some of this other stuff. Oh, so I, I must have cropped this wrong. Okay, so this one's a quicker one. Scylla, removing regen but staying the same otherwise. I can tell you right now what my answer was. No, don't do this. Revert Scylla back to the way it was where you weren't required to discard a card. Now, my understanding is that Scylla... The way it was before was, I don't want to say a bug, but it was not intended. It was supposed to always require the card. I don't see any reason to remove the regen on this, unless, and this was also part of my answer, unless, where's the survey? You can It's in the pins in Discord. So for anybody who's not aware, if you go head over to the official Mythgard Discord, it's pinned in there. It's actually the top pin from Rini, Mythgard Balance Questions, and there's a link to the Google form. I can actually I can dump it in chat right now. So that will bring everybody to, to there, to the uh, survey. Uh, so where were we? Checking to... Uh, card is part of the cost if they revert it back the colon needs to be moved uh yes i understand why it was um why it was changed i think it should have been the way it was working all along i agree with you tona like if it's going to be this way i get it i don't think it should be this way but i also don't think regen needs to be removed um this goes back to our discussion about seven what is a seven cost minion how powerful should the card be compared to the other seven cost minions i think this is fine i honestly do however i could see the argument that seven cost minions should not do this much stuff and if that's the case change it but i don't think short stag should also exist if Scylla loses these powers I just honestly don't. But it's... I could see it being changed. I don't... I would not lose any sleep if Scylla got changed. 
But that's my quick answer to should the Scylla change go through or propose Scylla change. Obviously, I don't even know if it's qualified as proposed. Uh, how people felt since about Murmur at 7 since the change. So this one's interesting because going into it, and I said this in one of my YouTube videos and on stream, I want Murmur to cost more or I thought Murmur should cost more. I wonder if it's... Oh, I see what's going on, chat. I'll, I'll check that in a second. Um, this did more than I thought it would. It, ironically, there were people arguing that it was a buff because you can't double speak it now, at least not the same turn, but, you know, there that's a, a different discussion. I think Murmur's okay. I still just can't stand the card to go back to the frustrating one. I think I would rather it cost more still. I think the the tempo from stealing your opponent's card in any non-green mirror is just enormous. Yeah, that, I mean, it, it's mostly facetious, Satona, about it being a buff, but it definitely came up where people couldn't murmur, because doublespeak is a thing that shows up in yellow control lists. It's reasonable against other safe house decks, for example, which if we're operating under the assumption that safe house is everywhere, maybe you run it. Uh, I don't know. It's Murmur might be okay. I still think I'd feel better pushing it higher, but that kind of counteracts my earlier argument about seven costs being okay for everything else. I find Murmur infinitely more frustrating to play against than literally any other card in the game. But at seven, I kind of accept where it's at. I could see it going higher. I get the sense based on a lot of these questions that a lot of the, the there's not that there's going to be but there's, it appears that there's consideration that there could be a massive balance patch where an enormous set of the high-end power cards get nerfed. Either cost, powers, whatever. Because just the way this is structured. And obviously I don't have any information on that. It's just me inferring these things. Um, I feel like we're in this weird scenario. We're filling out the form and not knowing what Rhino wants from the game is kind of weird. Like, what does seven costs really mean? That's exactly my point, Atona. I I can talk all day about, and I always do, about what I think it should be, yes or no, for these things. But it's kind of meaningless if the assumption is nine cost is where these things should be, or five cost is where they should be. If if we're saying everything's around seven, that's fine. But you. There's too many moving parts, too many variables. You need to pin something down and go, okay, this is true. Something has to be axiomatic. And then you go from there. Because then that drives all of the future dominoes, all of the other decisions. You can't move everything at the same time. Well, I take it back. You can move everything at the same time. But let's face it, that's way harder than it needs to be. It would be nice if they made less powerful seven mana cards for the next expansion, push the current ones to nine to ten. That would be reasonable, Hale. I don't know if, if we want to do ten. I get the the connection between ten mana and, you know, ten gems. Or you can burn above that, so that's why I'm saying gems. I don't know if I'd want to go that far, but I could see pushing everything higher. It, 
by nerfing all of these things, it allows them to reset everything because once you've pegged a low cost for a high power level, you can't go above that. Like you can't make weaker cards because they essentially don't exist. When a card is bad, like just strictly worse, unless you need the redundancy, you know, like I want seven single target removal cards. So past a certain point, I'm, you know, scraping the bottom of the barrel or you want X number of finishers. Okay, well, I'm running Scylla, I'm running Short Stag, I'm running Iku, and... Okay, what, what else? Obviously, there are more, but you get where I'm going with it. I Upping the power... Or, excuse me, upping the cost on these power cards is enticing to me, even though I, I don't necessarily want to, simply because it does allow them to come in underneath things and, quote-unquote, power creep, but not really. I think that that is a valid way to go about it. Uh, Murmur being the cost of a big-end game stuff makes sense but paying seven just for them to pay seven and take your seven is silly but it feels just as silly as having exact same exchange at 10 worth noting seven is where a card can be played through a mind free tens also permanently die to looky randomly uh i mean yeah like we said it's, it's really just outside of um well if you're running the uh the the winter war two cost uh green artifact the ramp thing that i can't think of the name of or if you're playing foc you could burn beyond it but yes realistically that those statements are true i don't know i honestly think for murmur that to come back to that murmur should cost more than the thing you're taking always if you're mind freaking their murmur i think that's fine I think that's okay. Mind Freak currently doesn't get played enough, I think. The thing is, is if you murmur... The reason I say that murmur should cost more is because it's such an annoying... Again, the non-green control mirrors, green is always at an advantage because of murmur. It's not just taking their guy. It's removing their guy, and you get a guy. Which I guess, I get, is defined by taking their guy but there's a reason i'm calling out those two scenarios because you're getting multiple cards in one you're getting a removal card and you're advancing a threat obviously the thing you're murmuring is a big deal you're not just going to murmur flag tokens you're going to murmur that scylla you're going to murmur that short stag that iku that whatever uh that perfect raid it's a big deal so it should be a big deal to play this thing if you murmur the card your opponent murmurs, did you time walk them? No, because you end up losing out on a turn worth of activations of that thing. So it's it's not quite time walking them. However, I do think you are at a tempo advantage because they're investing their whole turn and you are being technically proactive because now you ended up with a threat and they did not. Maybe non heli type like 3G and X take a creature. I had suggested that Midge previously. Um, offhand, I can't remember what the the issue with it was, but there was a somewhat reasonable scenario where it gets weird. Um, but I could see a variable cost. 3G is outdated. <laughs> you got me. Murmur being an unheli type makes it way better against aggro. That's actually, I think, what it was, Ragnar, was the problem. Is because now you have an infinitely better temptation. 
So it would have to be like five plus X kind of thing. It gets really weird where at that point, I think it just is simpler to say, all right, murmur costs seven or eight and just be done with it. Uh, Cause imagine murmur. Yeah. This was the scenario. It, it's coming back to me as I'm saying it. Imagine you play Insta Beast on something and your opponent murmurs it for like two mana or something like that. <laughs> it, it would just be crushing. Murmur being uh, three green plus X would mean seven is cap, cap of stealable things. Perfect rate would just be unmurmurable. Yeah, it. the way I was picturing it is um, cost plus one, but obviously... I know that wasn't the suggestion that was put forth, but also it, they both fall into sort of the same trap. There's a reason that it's funny. When I started playing Magic, you know, an eternity ago, and Control Magic, which was Murmur, but it cost four. It would have been, it was two and two blue. Now you could destroy it, but like, it's incredible how far we've come that now we're arguing about whether this card should cost like eight or nine. It's, I'm not sure at this stage, ultimately, and I was honest about it in my answer, was that I thought going to seven was not enough. I'm coming around to the idea that it might be. Oh, it'd be enough. I still would like it to, to be eight, but that might be my personal feelings about it. What about four green gems? I don't know that that... I mean, it certainly matters. It certainly matters, but... I don't know. Also, it's funny because you could do something like play a war fan to make things easier to play Murmur. That would be... I don't know if I would call that a bad development, Atona, because... That means play people are playing war fan? <laughs> like... Out, outside of something that's just silly combo based I'm not sure but yeah I could see changes additional changes to murmur I don't know it, it kind of again broken record time beating the dead horse time what is okay if we're saying red seven cost spell well they get two because I have seven ring but finale or seven ring horn in blue murmur in green I don't know what the hell yellow or orange have for spells, but, you know, is seven the baseline for these obscene, quote-unquote, effects? If yes, okay, we'll just leave it at seven. If not, then it probably should be adjusted along with the others. Or fan copy spell, oh god. I'm no veteran, but it should definitely cost more than the card you're taking, in my opinion. I mean, it can remove a win condition and card from your opponent and make it yours, right? Make something like, and cost two more than the target. It, that's where I'm going with it, Andre. I I think it gets really clunky when it's a variable cost for all the reasons we were talking about. I think if you arbitrarily make it eight, okay, that costs more than just about every minion, obviously perfect grade and other ones that's not true, but it's probably good enough, I think. Uh, yeah, seven mana sapo, but I'm talking specifically spells. I hear what you're saying, though, because if we're going to include minions, then it's, you know, Scylla, Short Stag, Iku, Sapo, etc. Um, but I I think there is a difference between what the spells do and what the minions do. I So Sapo is actually something that gets mentioned in all of these discussions, and I am honestly 
flummoxed as to why. I have no idea what people's issue with Sapo is. It it's a big dummy. That that's removal. Like, okay. If I'm paying seven mana and I'm not getting a Sapo level effect, I'm wondering why I'm paying seven mana. I mean, yeah, you can banish it. Obviously, you wouldn't want to bounce it. You can man fight it. It doesn't have overrun inherently. Obviously, there are ways to do it. Uh, you could just chump block it for a thousand years. Sapo is a, a body inherently. Murmur does not. The stats you get from Sapo are comparable to the stats you get from Murmur. Well, and that's why I'm I'm talking about how the spells and minions are differentiated. I think that they could all like both. Powerful minion and powerful spell could end up being seven cost is where we're talking. Or they could be six and eight, or they could be seven and eight, or it could be ten and eight. It could be, you know, whatever. But I think there are there are rules for all of these card designs that I think need to be laid out, and then we can determine are these things good or bad. Now you could have an opinion on the meta, the gameplay, and all these things independent of those rules. You could say you do or do not like the way Mythgard plays right now, but I think it's more efficient to define, okay, well, it's seven mana, this is the level of thing that happens, and then you can decide, is that, like, do you like that or not? Rather than saying, I just don't like this, and then we're just kind of, like, randomly picking stuff, whether it's costs or nerfs or whatever. Because the argument is, well, if 7 mana is not okay, but we want to keep Sapo, for example, at 7, what is the, like, how much mana is warded worth? How much mana is the destroy effect worth? How much mana is the buff effect worth? And that's the costing algorithm that I don't think is very clear at this stage. Opening a can of worms, imagine a cyborg where purple sides in Mind Freak against green. If there are control mirrors and there are sideboards, I would not be surprised to see Mind Freak show up a lot. In all seriousness, Midge, like that's, I would expect that to be a thing. Uh, for real, Sapo can be taken out by chump blockers easily and not having overrun or armor makes it not as much of a threat sometimes. Its best trait is the way it can buff itself based on the minions it destroys and the fact that it takes out a minion in the opposite lane. Absolutely. That's why I'm always shocked when people mention Sapo in the same breath as, say, Grand Finale. Like, I don't put those on par at all. And I'm fine with Grand Finale. Like, And that's not to say Sapo's bad. By no means am I saying Sapo is bad. I just don't think it's on par with a lot of these other cards. I don't think it's on par with Murmur either. I think Murmur's far and away better than Sapo. But I'm also not very good at this game, so. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's tough to, like we were just saying, really evaluate these things in not quite a vacuum, but we'll say a vacuum. So we'll probably come back to Murmur, but we'll, we'll move on to the next one, which I probably have way more to say about the Murmur, which is hilarious given how long I've been rambling about Murmur. Horn not replacing mana crystals, but remaining the same otherwise. Thoughts? Question mark. Well, I have thoughts. <laughs> I have thoughts. I think Warded actually fluctuates based on color. Grim seems to get free Warded for some reason. Look at Gallows Boy and Drenay Propagandist. One can easily trade up. The other is, one is an on-stat one-drop that generates card advantage left uh, untended. 
Yes, Atona. Uh, this, I think, is a factor of, you know, red is the burn and life tap faction sort of thing. Blue is the enchantment faction. Green, apparently, is the warded faction, although other factions obviously get warded as well as ways to, to play around with it. I think it's reasonable in those scenarios for those cards to have warded because they just ultimately... They ultimately just don't do that much. Like, okay, you got a Gallows Boy. Like, woohoo. You trade up. Okay. <laughs> and I like Gallows Boy a lot, and I like Propagandist a lot. But there's a reason that they aren't necessarily making waves in a lot of builds. Now, that isn't to say that they shouldn't. I think Propagandist was a very reasonable early game blocker for green against Mono Red because it can't be burned out of the way. Uh, but there, that, that's a larger discussion, and it is something that I'm not clear on it, compared to other games. If you played WoW, if you played Magic, if you played whatever, every keyword, every ability had an algorithm for this is roughly worth this much mana or resources or whatever it was for that game. And then you add them all up, combined with the stats, and that has an algorithm, and then that's the average general cost for a minion, an ally, a creature, a whatever. Some cards will be pushed, and that's where you get like, oh, well, this thing is half a mana, costs half a mana, air quotes, less than it should, therefore it's really strong. Or this card is overcosted by half a mana, so it's kind of bad. Or they're just straight up overcosted or undercosted. I'm not real clear what all of the, the keywords and abilities and powers and things in Mythgard are labeled as, just as we're talking about costs. There's a lot of things that that I I might be able to figure out if I sat down and and thought about it, but I I would personally like... Okay, so this is going to be a digression for a moment. I would love for the Rhinos to outline a document that says, we this is the rough costing algorithm for minions. This is where spells should be at. This is the turn that we think the game should, should end on. Do you think... <laughs> You're right, Atona. Um, the, these are all the different points on the map of where we think things should be generally i would love for them to do this yeah you're you're also right about that atona <laughs> shout out to all my my wow tcg fans my wife's favorite card is cosmon which is funny but anyway so i would love for rhinos to explicitly outline seven mana for a spell should get you this Six mana for a minion should get you that. An enchantment at this cost gets you that, etc. Here's the problem. And I should have said this at the beginning when we were talking about all of this stuff. I have a lot of difficulty imagining a world where people just don't absolutely lose their minds. And just berate the rhinos. And the reason I say that is that I've seen this in other games. When the developers are open, there is an enormous risk. And there's other risks outside of the community just getting whiny. Believe me, there, there, there's other ones. But we're focused on that. If they come out and say, well, seven mana should, a seven mana spell should end the game on nine, immediately everyone's going to jump down their throat and say, well, what about All Father's Horn? How come that hasn't been nerfed? Like, it, they won't even get the post up before somebody says that. I mean, granted, people are saying that now, so by definition, but you get what I'm, where I'm going with it. If they say that a 
an eight mana minion should do X, everyone's going to point at all the seven mana minions and say, well, how come those don't get nerfed? Why are those okay? These are reasonable... Well, not... I take that back. Reasonable is very much the wrong word. These are expected responses, or should be expected, which sucks. Because realistically, the devs would be sharing information that they obviously don't have to. And I think it's cool to have that information out there, and it gives us a peek behind the curtain to see what the Wizard of Oz is doing. The problem is, is that there's no reasonable way that even in a community this small, that we're not going to have people jumping up and down and down their throats about it. <laughs> That's a weird one, Atona. <laughs> um, but... That's the problem, is I would love for them to outline these things, and it would make filling out this survey way better for me. I don't know if it would be more helpful for everybody else, or if it, considering these things. Because at the end of the day, if you don't like Finale, and you think it's ridiculous, or you think Seven Ring, or you think whatever, having the devs tell you, no, we think Seven is where these should be for these reasons, and the game then ends on average, or in the aggregate, whatever, X number of turns afterwards, you know, barring the edge cases where it ends immediately or you did it and it didn't matter because you were dead on board. None of that matters to you, the individual that says, no, I don't like this thing because guess what? You don't like it. And I don't think there's any way to convince people most of the time that it should be different. So it sucks because I could certainly, if I were in the dev shoes, I would be like, well, what's the point of telling these people this thing? It's not going to matter. I think it is beneficial to do it anyway, and I'm being selfish, I just want to know. But, uh, it, digression aside, let's talk about Horn. So I saw chat was saying, is Horn comparable to Murmur? I think it depends on what you're comparing. And in frustration factor, for me, I would say no. I think Murmur is more frustrating. But... I don't think that's universally true for everybody, and I could, I can definitely get behind the argument. And I could be convinced otherwise. Maybe Rhino doesn't know what a seven mana means, and they need to ask to figure that out. I think that also is really dangerous. If they keep bending to what people want. I don't think that's what's happening here, Atona. So that's actually a good thing to bring up, and we'll get back to Horn. I don't think that. So part of me agrees with you in saying that yes, they're they're fishing for information in that, well, what does the community want? And it is dangerous to say, well, what does the community want? Because most of the time, and we've said this on stream, people are can easily identify problems. Identifying solutions is significantly more difficult. So you walk this dangerous line of you asked for our opinion and then you just didn't do anything with it. You either ignored it, you didn't like it, or whatever. I'd be pleased if they released the Yes, the uh, the roadmap would be nice, but also another thing in the category of they're setting themselves up dangerously in the fact that, you know, we we are obviously, we collectively, community is lording over them about, hey, where's the roadmap? Why hasn't it been updated? That sort of thing. Because there was a precedent set. Uh, but we can come back to that point, Hale. Um, I don't think that the Rhinos are realistically asking the community, we don't know how to balance our game fix it for us like that's not happening i don't think anybody should be laboring under that assumption and i don't think that's really what you meant to tona but 
I think they are taking a risk asking the community at all. Like I said, it, people can be, you know, vindictive, I guess, uh, when things like this happen. But I think it is good to get a sense of the community in. And I hope when people fill this out, they are being as articulate and specific as humanly possible. Because it's one thing to say, oh, well, I hate this card. But you got to tell us why, because hating it doesn't fix it. Like, that's IDing the problem. What specifically do you not like about it? And then the rhinos can figure out what the answer is. And that's the thing. Yep, that happens more often than you think, Atona. Not maybe you, but just in general. Um, that when you put certain expectations out there, it, it really sucks to reel them back in. So that's why many companies just straight up don't communicate. And people get frustrated by that. I do personally a lot when there isn't communication. That's why I like what the Rhinos are doing. And I like them reaching out in this fashion and others communicating with us, talking with us. It, it's very helpful. But... I think, and it can be tough, we as the community have to take a step back and recognize that they're putting themselves out there. Let's not crucify them over things. Like it, It's not necessary in general, but especially here because the natural response is going to be, well, why are we going to keep putting our hand out there to get slapped? We'll just not do this thing instead, and it'll save everybody a lot of grief. And I know... Di- big digression there and we'll probably come back to that point again i'm sure because i've been repeating myself this entire time so coming back to horn i'm going to pull the survey off of here but first i'm going to reread the question so horn not replacing mana crystals but remaining the same otherwise thoughts so basically it's going to give a standard action to all your minions it's still going to cost the same at seven and it's going to banish all copies of the spell after casting Immediately, my thought was this shaves four to six damage off of any horn turn. Because in a lot of them, I am dro- I'm going, oh, I have somewhat of a board, I'll horn, I'll immediately drop a giant stairway under something. That's six damage right there, you know, from the two attacks. It also makes it more complicated. So you're, you have to go out of your way to set up that giant stairway. So either you do it in advance or you uh, burn more blue. It's very difficult to do that sometimes and because you often are playing a lot of these enchantments. You know, you're playing your Arctic Pyres, you're playing your Knolls, you're playing the stairways uh, or Shatterstone Palace or whatever. You may not have been able to burn to the appropriate level to do these things. So, okay. Seems positive. It also eliminates a lot of the Frecky sidecar plays to some extent. You're not going to be able to, if you already advance the giant stairway, go horn Frecky sidecar plus Kara, get in there. It, it shaves a lot of damage or damage potential off of the horn. This is not a change that I would have thought for horn. It makes sense. I don't know, and the reason that it matters that I didn't think of it is I'm not clear in responding to it what the replacement is. So, for example, you also can no longer do Rebel Rough Rider, buff it, horn, buff it again to like, and suddenly it's a 12 attack minion with two actions. Like, those things won't happen anymore. I don't know what the other colors offer that you refresh your mana 
you still have all your gems from secondary color that can still be utilized, assuming that you sunk only blue into this, you didn't do anything else yet. I'm not... I just don't know offhand what those are or what those will look like. I would assume that they are way lower damage thresholds or you would have been doing them already, obviously. Clearly, you have less options because you're not just refreshing the gems anyway. Hornet to Murmur. <laughs> the classic. The classic Hornet to Murmur play. But yes, it will give the mana back. We don't have, in Horn decks, at least right now, a Daigoju, a Vedma Flamespar, a... Um, A56, a toddle, those sort of mana sink cards that allow you to leverage, oh, I suddenly have a ton of mana. Now, we were talking earlier about Spellweaver Zera, which again, since you're not getting the gems back, can still make this more complicated, but it that's one way to leverage a whole bunch of mana. We don't really have X spells where you have a variable amount of mana that you sink into it, so refreshing it there doesn't necessarily, you know, you can't play something that says give a minion plus X plus O based on the amount of mana you, you put into it. It's really just extract life. I kind of like this change. Like my initial reaction, the more I think about it, is that this should significantly lower the damage threshold, which is in the issue to me with Horn. Other people may have other issues. I think Horn plays by accelerating yourself with rainbow are cool i think they're really cool where you have guardian plateau or even a giant stairway you play thieves bazaar shoot up your mana count play an all father's horn early in the game or, or earlier in the game than you would expect or you can play multiple things on the turn and go nuts i don't know how many of those are still alive because of the changes in gems it's going to get weird, but I th I think it's kind of interesting. Here's the problem. If this is an over-nerf, if this is an over-nerf, and Horn is dead, not saying it is, but let's assume that it is, what happens? It's hard to say that the Dirtle decks run rampant because there's an argument that that's already happening with safe house decks where we just stare at each other for a thousand turns as opposed to having all father's horn just you know look if you're not going to interact with me you're dead i'm sorry game's over I'm, I'm going to get lunch i don't know if that will happen based on the rest of this since they're obviously listening to feedback about safe house Maybe something happens to Safe House, and then some other Dirtle deck in conjunction with a Horn nerf suddenly runs rampant. It is necessary to have aggro or these one-card combo cards, which again, like I said earlier, Horn isn't really a single-card combo. You do need to invest other cards. It's just not on the same turn. So it's not combo in the way that people traditionally think about it if you played other card games. <clears throat> I'm not sure. I would like to see this in action. You know, like I would like to straight up play a bunch of games with blue, orange, rainbow, yellow, blue, rainbow, and see what this feels like and how it works. Would I lose any sleep if All Father's Horn was, was nerfed to the point of oblivion? No. 
this card is verging on the the frustration list for me uh, that we talked about in the earlier question. I think that it it pushes that bar because in its current state, and we talked about this earlier also, I have ended and had games ended not in my favor from board positions that there is no reasonable way that you should be ending the game. Obviously, they you should because All Father's Horn exists in this incarnation. But if you have a single minion on board and I'm at 20 health, I should not die. Not on that turn. That's why I think this is worse and more egregious than, say, Grand Finale. Grand Finale, and for all of the issues with it, and as much as it may lock up a game in an even more sure way than All Father's Horn, if that's possible, you technically still have a turn to respond to it. And when you talk about Horn, that's not the case. It's just you need to remove every single thing they play every single turn starting on like turn five unless you're close to 30 health. And even then you could die depending on how the game plays out. The fact that that is true is also its own defense to keep it that way because, again, fight the Dirtle decks, which realistically are going to be more frustrating for more people, I think, than All Father's Horn, myself included. Still, I don't think it's a good idea to leave Horn alone. I think the the real answer is not, well, do we allow the Dirtles or do we allow Horn? The answer is fix both of them. Don't have that problem, which is easier said than done. But that's the caveat for all of these things is the, the answers should not be binary. It's not, do we nerf Murmur again or do we leave it alone? It's, well, if ner- Murmur's a problem, nerf it and the other things that suddenly are now a problem because Murmur got nerfed, or Scylla, or Horn, or whatever card we're talking about. And that's the complicated part, is thinking about what that meta is going to be afterwards. So bottom line is, I think that this is a very interesting change. I'd have to see it in practice, because I cannot conjure in my mind what this is going to look like after it would go live. Uh, So let's check chat real quick. Uh... Oh, this is going back a while. Uh, I like communication close to thing. I don't need to know what you're releasing a year from now, but give me some information on stuff you know will be out in a little bit. So to that, I I agree. I hate spoiler season. I've said that before. Just give me the whole spoiler. I don't care if it's a, the week before and you don't tell us anything other than the expansion's coming. I don't care. I hate spoiler season. Um, I know I'm not alone in that. I also don't care what they're going to do in 2023. Other than I would want to know, we're releasing expansions, and this is just an example, at this interval. That's the sort of thing I would want to know. So I can expect with regularity, oh, well, this time of year, we're going to have an expansion. This is when the World Championship happens, that sort of thing. Uh, We'll also give your mana back, not just the crystals. Yep, talking about that. Uh... Horn into Murmur. Are they nerfing Horn again? Possibly. It's not a guarantee, but it, it, the question is on here for this survey. Imagine every TCG, they had a, a public test server where you ba- test balance patches. Uh, that does exist for most. Uh, maybe not necessarily in that form, but a lot of them have stuff. Hey, Matafaka, what's good? If all cards are problematic, doesn't that mean nothing is a problem, just happens to be the power level of the game? Not necessarily. So let's say there were literally cards, and this is a a stupid argument, so bear with me. 
let's say there was a five mana card that said is if, if your opponent's playing blue, they lose the game. And there was one of those in every color for every color. Those are all problems. That doesn't mean that it it like I guess you can make the power level argument for that, but that doesn't necessarily mean that it's healthy. Having everything is broken so nothing is broken can be fun. It's not inherently good or bad. It depends on the implementation, which is a cop-out answer, but realistically, that's what it is. I don't know if I'm in the minority here, but I'd actually like to see them advance story mode. It's been so long. You are... I don't think you were in the minority there, Solonex. I would definitely like them to advance the story mode, and... People have asked for it a lot, so I would assume you're not in the minority. It's not on this survey, but they have stated the answer is basically they just have higher priorities. The team is small enough that they they have other things they need to deal with. Yeah, you're you're absolutely the story mode is spectacular. And I I remember somebody I know we're getting away from the survey, but we'll get back to it. I remember seeing somebody, I think, in Discord disparaging the story, and I just kind of sat there and like squinted at it for a little while. I'm just like What do you hate most about fun? Is it the fun? Because like that story mode was fun. I love this world. The world I mean, I guess it's Earth, but like this world is really cool, and I am for anybody who's familiar with uh, Card Gamer Psychographic Profiles Vorthos, the idea that, like, you know, you get into the thing. You play a necro deck, and it's like, I'm a necromancer, or, like, I, I'm playing tribal Valk, so I'm a Valkyrie. Like, you, you get into the thing. Yeah, lore, the lore is important to me, and it, it's, it's a very unique take, this whole universe. I really like it, and I think that it would be great if they could expand on it, and I think they do do that to uh have a really poorly constructed sentence there so for example i've read this one because somebody pointed out to me on stream before but like the flavor behind terminal calculus is awesome i think you could reach out more to more people if the lore was not just in game maybe comics or something like that i agree with you midge i 100 percent agree with you um I know there's a lore channel I in Discord. I personally don't hang out in there very often. I don't know if I've ever really gone in there other than to clear the notification thing. I'm pretty sure there's somebody who is doing lore videos. But I would I really want to watch those, listen to those. I just haven't gotten around to it. Because I think the speculation and going through and trying to figure out what's actually happening in this world whoops, I didn't mean to do that, is fun. I think it would be, if they had the resources to expand this stuff, is really cool. Obviously, you can see it in other games, and everybody knows the ones that I'm I'm thinking of. You could probably conjure some yourselves. It's a big deal. People get drawn into a game because of all of these quote-unquote periphery things, all of the fluff, and they fall in love with it, and that's what keeps them in the game is they love the characters, they love the universe, or they love the story behind it. And those are the people, in a lot of scenarios, that often spend the most money on the game, which is not something to be ignored. Some robust lore could really help out this game, to be honest, especially with the different faction interactions. I agree. The The entire story of the Winter War, I understand what's happening, 
at the macro level. But I have no idea what's happening in the minutia level. If there's a story being told right now, you know, what I would love to see is being able to access this part of the card in-game. This the extra um the extra lore while I'm in game and my opponent's roping me for the fifty thousandth time because we've all had those games. I'll sit there and I'll read the lore entries and I think that would be cool. I don't know what it would take to do that because screen real estate and all that fun stuff, but it there are ways that I think it can be done. It would be great to have some of these other ancillary things like digital comics or something. I just don't know what the resource constraints are. And that's the problem is I I just don't know. I mean somebody also mentioned elsewhere and I know we're digressing very far, but we'll we'll get back on topic shortly. If there was like a Mythgard action RPG, this world would be awesome to explore. It would be great. Maybe when you zoom in, have a flip option to read lore. Exactly, Midge. I don't know what that would entail coding-wise. I don't know what that would entail if it would be a problematic screen real estate-wise. There's a lot of factors that would, would come in about trying to implement that. It's a new feature. But I think that would be beneficial. I think that would be really cool, personally. But uh, lore stuff aside, I mean, you could zoom in, just look at art, why not flip it? I agree, but we were talking about this earlier in a different context where it sounds, it's like, come on, why don't you just add that? It's like, okay, well, somebody has to program it. They have to troubleshoot it. You know, what happens if the game locks up when you do that because of some weird query that runs in the background because it calls this other routine? And it's like, okay, all these games are crashing left and right because we wanted to add flavor text. Plus, it's, again, just the... I don't know what their coding team looks like. I don't know what it would entail to add things in. It might be a monster undertaking. I'm not sure. So I would love to have it. If it doesn't happen, obviously we'll survive without it. Yeah, exactly. It's it's one of those things that I, I make it a point as much as I, like everyone else, goes, well, come on, it can't be that hard when you first think of the idea. Believe me, sometimes it's that hard. And that's not directed at you, Mitch. That's just a general statement like, Sometimes the simple things, because of underlying assumptions about code from six years ago, means that, well, this thing now can't happen without turning the world upside down. And it seems silly, but we're all human. It happens. So the next one... The next one's interesting. Because again, like we were talking about at the beginning, the very first question is how much do you play Mythgard and what's your average rank? This next one is kind of a repeat to some extent in do you feel you prefer playing Mythgard casually with occasional competitive play or would you rather view the game competitive across the board? This is a obviously intended to be personal feel and my immediate answer is no, I want to compete all the time. I wish there were tournament queues that I could queue up for all the time and I just want to play tournaments every day, all day. I don't care. I only want to play with the best decks. I don't care if it's 100% safe house all the time. I just want to compete. That being said, it's not that I don't enjoy streaming and then just derping around and playing nonsense in casual or ranked. So if, for example, I went, if the, the ladder went back, if we, if they cut the ladder from points for the championship at the end of the year, I would prefer that to the current one. The reason being is 
I could still queue up against champion people and expect that they're going to play well with quote unquote good decks or coherent ones, but I could still play jank. And we've done that before in, in previous seasons as compared to now where a the points matter, but also I could queue up because of the, the seemingly shrinking population. If I queue up against a bronze person, like why am I beating them up? Um, they're going to misplay even if they have a good deck, that sort of thing. Or like, why did you do this thing? Why did you include that card? If I want to queue up against champion and mithril level or rank players with good decks, removing, I think removing the ranked scenario from the points gathering would enable that. And it would allow me to screw around on stream and play like snakes and experiment more, which I think is beneficial. However, I am personally focused on the competitive game. That being said, I do not believe that it should be... The game should be focused on that. I really don't. I really think that the game should be focused on the casual player and then balanced around competitive play. Um, I think there needs... That's part of the the importance of these big splashy mythics like Seven Ring Ritual Grand Finale is like it feels cool to place Grand Finale and go, I'm gonna dump all these guys into play. It feels cool, and I think at most levels, unless you actively hate it, you're gonna enjoy that feeling playing that card. And I think it's important to have the casual players as part of the ladder. Like you you need those people both to sustain the game and Continue giving the, the, maybe not the impression, that makes it sound like it's being lied about, but you exude the fact that there are people, lots of people that are not only playing the game, but enjoying the game. I think it needs to be balanced around the former, where you offer those individuals the opportunity to play competitively in eight-man queues, these weekend events, that sort of thing. The pro tour, so to speak, the World Championship Series is awesome. I love it. I was very excited when it was announced. But it's a marketing tool at the end of the day, and I think everybody needs to recognize that if you haven't already, and odds are everybody does. The people who are at the top end of competitive play are almost always dwarfed in numbers and likely, therefore, in financial-related streams by all of the other people. There's way more people that play casually in any given game than there are people who play hardcore competitively. The issue and the rub comes in when you're talking about balance, which isn't really a focus of this question, but I wanted to talk about the point that if you look at, say, StarCraft or WarCraft, the game should be balanced around the best players and how the best players play. Because ultimately, the point is get good. Like You can always get better. And that's how you solve your issue. You can't, if you, you create these other imbalances with, at different levels that cause problems when you balance around something. And again, I'm not trying to be derogatory about this, but if you, if you're looking at a lower than the highest skill set, you're introducing weird imbalances that then affect everything, especially everything above that level. So it and and it also can change fundamentally the way the cards are balanced and designed, obviously, therefore creating a wildly different game. That's why I say 
target balancing around the best level, then advertise the crap out of how the best players are playing decks and scenarios, do walkthroughs. And I want to do this on my own channel. That's why I, I am doing some of the recordings for Mythgard Melee. Watching games and talking about the decisions that were made, whether it's my game or someone else's game. Because then you can explain to people, oh, well, in the you should be looking for these scenarios. And it feels good to grow and improve, whereas as opposed to designing the game around that quote-unquote, lower level. Again, this is all kind of digressing from the actual question because I do think the formatting and the way the game is designed from a client, from a support standpoint, needs to be more focused on the casual players than the competitive players because the competitive players are super invested and to be perfectly honest, they're going to be there no matter what. There will always be a competitive player. Someone will be, by definition, the most competitive person. And people get excited, even as casual players, about watching and playing in tournaments. No matter what. And once you get that bug, it drives you to play in the next one. So I think it's easier to snowball that out of an existing population than try and grow the population to begin with. That's why I think more resources should be devoted to the other end than the tournament end. That all being said, it it kind of hurts me personally because I want to play in tournaments. I want to be competitive. I want to play this stuff. But And also, it, it's couched in the idea, like I said, about balancing the cards. So it's a, it's a weird question. I may end up writing a, a whole dissertation on the response here when we get to it, but we'll see. So what's, uh, what's chat got going on? That's how all my code projects start. We didn't do it because it was easy. We did it because we thought it was going to be easy. Yeah, that's absolutely true, Jinxie. And it brings back memories of me doing stuff. Uh, someone made a comment along the lines of gamers are good at pointing out flaws, but not necessarily providing solutions. I feel like that's very relevant here. doesn't mean suggestions can't be made, but as I talked about in Discord, it's not always as easy as people think in terms of coding to just add things. You're absolutely right, Solonex. And it goes beyond coding. It goes to, to the balancing, uh, the marketing, all of these things. There was a discussion that came up in Discord about, you know, why is Mythgard not more popular than it is? The game is amazing. Even if you have issues with the existing state, the game is amazing, in, in my opinion. I, I, I will argue that with people. This game is incredible. I played a lot of card games, physical and digital. This is one of the best that I've played. At all levels. From the, from the rule set all the way through to the balance. And back again, especially the client. And I could go on and on. Why is it not more popular? There's a lot of reasons. Um, and not all of them are, are something you can fix. I feel like the marketing thing is it. Rhino cannot market to save their lives and all the constant changes make it hard to penetrate from the outside. You're just in the honeymoon period? I am most certainly not, Matafaka. I can tell you that. I... Uh, I am definitely not in the honeymoon period when it comes to Mythgard. I have complaints about it uh, that are outside, like this questionnaire. We're focusing them here. But I still think it's better because I played a lot of games for a lot of years. I mean, I'm going on mul- either going on or past multiple decades at this stage, past multiple decades of a lot of different games. And I'm just, I just accept a lot of these things as to, to what it is. 
I disagree with you, Tone, about the marketing because ultimately marketing is a very complicated thing. And I'm I don't do marketing by trade. I'm just aware of the the way statistics show how difficult it is. And that's even if you ignore numbers and actual marketing research and people who know that part of the industry or any industry for that matter. The fact of the matter is, is that human beings are going to be ingrained in whatever they're doing. I don't think it's very likely to convert anyone from any game at any point in time unless they truly hate the game that they're already involved in. And then you often want to be the second game that they try, not the first, because it's kind of like, you know, the rebound game. You hate game A, so it's like, I'm fed up with this. I'm finally quitting. Go to game B. You're going to love game B, but then you're going to realize it's probably the first game you jumped into, and then you're going to sour on it, and then you go to the next one, and then that's the one you settle on. I've known a lot of people in real life that have done similar things. Two-year marriage period, fair. (laughs) Yet here we are. I don't... We talked about this earlier. I don't think this is a panic survey. I think there are legitimate reasons that they could be doing this without assuming that it's, oh God, we're screwed. I th- I really believe there are. We talked about it earlier, but I... The fact of the matter is, is it actually ties to my previous statement about converting people from other games. I don't think... It's just really hard to convert people from an ingrained game, regardless of whether it's Magic, it's Hearthstone, it's... Uh, well, I guess Magic Arena, it could be Warhammer, it could be, you know, Yu-Gi-Oh, if, it could be Keyforge, it could be whatever, it doesn't matter. Once people are already invested, there's both a psychological and financial investment. People aren't great with sunk cost fallacy. It's, it's a reason it's a fallacy. You You have to find people that would be willing to play a card game but don't already play a card game and are going to choose a smaller one over larger, more well-known options. It's tough. I don't know if it... uh, I hear what you're saying, Antonio, about the survey looking weird. I don't know if it makes that big of a deal because there's market research done on everything all the time always explain the fallacy thing the sunk cost fallacy it's the fact that you've already sunk x say you're playing another game i've sunk a thousand dollars into this other game you're never getting that money back i guess you could make the argument you could sell something that doesn't mean that you should continue to throw money into it for the purpose of, oh, well, I already put in this much, I will already, I will then turn it around and my enjoyment will return. Past a certain point, you have to accept that either you've fallen out of love with that game, and this goes for other things. It's not a game thing. It's some costs. Is, it's just a business concept. So if you if you look at it from the business perspective, you start a project, it costs, you know, $100 million. You sink the $100 million and you go, oh, shit, it's actually going to cost $200 million is you have to evaluate it from the perspective of, am I going to get the return? Am I going to get the money back or, you know, whatever goal was with that? And is that worth it at this stage? Not just we need to complete it because we started it. That's a great personal motto for, you know, self-motivation. I'm going to finish what I started. 
but it's not great when you're talking about a business or in this case, like card games. I stuck with magic, for example, for a very long time and I hated it. And I didn't realize I hated it until years afterwards. And it it was like, it, it was just mind blowing when I finally crossed that point. Some cost, sunk cost. Sorry if I'm uh, slurring it. <laughs> Gandalf, I apologize. Yeah, sunk cost. I, I apologize if uh, my mouth is getting dry, so I'm probably slurring it a little bit. Um, yes, my apologies. Uh, but to return to the optics thing, I he- I definitely hear what you're saying, Atona, and believe me, that thought has crossed my mind. It does seem a little weird. I think there are enough legitimate reasons that I'm willing to accept um, them doing this. I think if this becomes a regular thing, that it's fine. Uh, I actually would appreciate if they did this, you know, every expansion or something, just to get community feedback. Or fine, maybe there's a different way to do it than just putting out a, a Google Doc spreadsheet or a survey rather but i think it would be good and then it also kind of back justifies the previous ones if people were concerned it's like look this is just a regular thing they do this to this is how they interact with the community it's normal and then everybody goes oh okay um explaining to somebody that's new i think they would have the same sort of reaction of why are they trying to get community feedback don't they just balance it on their own or don't they consider these things on their own? But I think there's valid arguments to present that just boil down to, we are their customers. They should have a good sense of how we feel about things. And doing it in this capacity, while maybe not necessarily the most official appearing one, is still worthwhile. Uh, is a good time to push MTGA players they're pissed at the new expansion costs. I came from Hearthstone. Yeah, that's the thing is converting people from other games... You have to hit them when they're most angry with their other game. Otherwise, it's just a natural human thing. Myself, everybody does this. It's just hard to let go of things sometimes. Uh, It's absolutely tough. People comparing myths marketing or lack thereof to larger games kind of not that great sometimes because they have bigger teams and been around for longer. Plus, they have more money to do those things in the first place, not to mention bigger player base. You're absolutely right, Solonex. There's a lot of inertia with other games i've been on record a lot i don't think i don't like magic i i just don't and i think the reason many people are drawn to magic is whether they consciously admit it or not there are people to play magic with and that's it you you, it's really hard to go to a gaming store when you could do that still uh and not find a group to play magic with at any level like, we're, we're talking, you could play casually, you could play competitively, you could do the middle ground, you could do whatever. And it's true for other large games. That being said, the fact of the matter is, is that's the reality. And yes, you could say, well, Mythgard's, you know, small fish in a big pond, or whatever, whatever analogy you want to go with. Excuse me. But that's the reality, and they're going to have to deal with it one way or another. That's a... Like, that's a you problem, Mythgard. <laughs> that sort of thing. Some course fallacy is me stupidly trying to keep Lord alive because I just want to banish my opponent's card even more even though I should let die move on. That is a good example, Solonex. <laughs> Some cost fallacies when you add up all the costs and then go, oh, well, shit. Yeah. <laughs> all right, yo, have a good night. Apologize, I missed that one. 
in my opinion, they should highlight the quality of life feature of this game versus other CCGs. I agree for the most part, Nazgul. One of the problems is the fact that most of the quality of life things, and not all of them, not all of them, but most of them that I harped on about when I first started playing Mythgard and I sold other people on this game, were things like the replay feature, the ability to steal deckless, the ability to to load up these things and do research, which is if I try and sell somebody who's not a hardcore gamer on that, they're going to go, so you're telling me it's another job. That's the, I think that's the challenge. Now, those obviously are not the only quality of life features. There are a lot of other things that are in Mythgard that are cool. And I think you could sell people on. The problem is, is that are those actually enough I think it should be one of the central pillars of trying to push Mythgard. However, there are other parts to marketing that aren't just what's the feature set. I don't think anybody who's played Mythgard will say that the feature set, I mean, bugs aside and things like that, is lacking compared to alternatives. The problem is, is that that isn't what often sells people on games, and it goes back to what I was just saying about a hardcore person is going to be like, oh, do you mean I can go watch replays and study and all this stuff? That sounds awesome. Is that enough to, to get a lot of people? I don't know. It's also going to be an issue with, regardless of how many, oh, this is so much better than your alternative, it still goes back to the sunk cost fallacy of people trying to, they have to let go of their other game. It's very difficult for most people to play multiple card games. They're expensive, they require a lot of time, and they ask a lot of you at any level, casual or competitive. They require a lot. It's very hard to get people to, to jump ship. I, in general, I would disagree Tona, but it depends on the game. This is going to your resource uh, statement. I play a lot of games that don't have traditional resources, aka they have an action-based economy as opposed to other ones. Severin, thank you for the follow. Much appreciated. I hope you're finding my rambling enjoyable. <laughs> There's a lot of it. Uh, yeah, I agree with you, Nazgul, that the hardcore gamer should find a lot of this stuff awesome, but it's still, is that enough to draw somebody out of their existing game? Maybe. It's possible. Uh, I think it's, a, like I said, a worthwhile pillar to focus on, which, admittedly, I've mentioned this story many times, that I did not find Mythgard through an advertisement. I didn't find it through YouTube. I didn't find it through watching Twitch. I literally was Googling for Mythgard. And by Googling for Mythgard, I mean Googling for digital card games. So I'm not probably the person to ask about, you know, what's the appropriate way to reach people. There's a lot of research that can be done. I mean, there are marketing firms that will tell you about marketing of what the best return is and click-through rates and things like that. And I can tell you from experience with other games and just, you know, being around the industry for a while, the numbers are really generally atrocious. Like, it's very hard to get new eyeballs. Am I playing today? I have a deck request, if so. I can definitely play. We're going to finish up the uh, survey with, I think this is the last question. Uh, what do you really like about the game and think it's done well, wouldn't want change? Well, I guess we kind of cover that in the quality of life thing. 
But yeah, we can get in a game or two because I was going to close up early tonight, Hale. So ship me the, the list in Discord if you wouldn't mind and spend some channel points. <laughs> um, I don't know why, but action, action-based economies, as you put it, just do not click with me. Same is true for games where resources happen automatically. It just feels like a decision point was removed. It absolutely was. A decision point was removed, but it was replaced with other things, depending on what you're playing. Oh boy, we may not be able to copy this in from Twitch chat. This is always a problem. I'm going to try it, Hale. Nope, that didn't work. Uh, I can do this, though. I'll just fix this in Notepad real quick. Fuse Frecky Scout. That. I see you You messaged me as well. I it Twitch formats things in a really bad way. So it can't get imported natively. So yeah, that'll kind of close up the discussion for the survey. I do hope everybody fills it out. It It's definitely, I think, valuable or hopefully will be valuable to the team. I'm looking, apparently you can see the results, so I'm anxious to see what other people are saying as well. But anyway, I'm going to close up shop there. There's unfortunately nobody else streaming Mythgard, so I can't raid there, but I appreciate everybody that came out. It was a lot of fun talking about survey. If you haven't filled it out, definitely check it out in the official Mythgard Discord. So as always, everybody, thank you for listening. Thank you for watching. And Black Lives Matter.